football on Off The Ball. With Sky. The Premier League is back. Watch every live game for the rest of the season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. I'm prepared to do anything I can well, to play the country again. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Yeah, welcome to Wednesday Night's Football Show. Richie McCormick here with you for the next hour or so. I'm joined for the duration by the 42.news, Gavin Cooney. Gavin, welcome back to the studio. Cheers, Rich. Uh, it is uh, Nottingham Forest nil, Manchester United 2. They've played four minutes of the second half of the City Ground in this Carabao Cup semi-final. First leg, the goals in the first half for United coming from Marcus Rashford on six minutes. He uh, received the ball close to the left-hand touchline, cut inside through Remo Freuler and Joe Worrell who were defending the uh, that side of the pitch for Forrest. Uh, Rashford managed to evade both and hold off a challenge right at the end to put the ball past Wayne Hennessy and it was 2-0 just on the stroke of half time a shot from the edge of the area from Anthony brought a save from Wayne Hennessy which uh, went straight to defeat has to be said of Ved Veghorst he made it 2-0 his first goal for United in between Forrest did have the ball in the net Sam Surridge was adjudged to be just offside uh, finishing off a fantastic breakaway for Forrest midway through the first half uh, but his challenge or his shot even uh, came from an offside position or received the ball in an offside position and uh, Brennan Johnson has also been causing hassle to the United defence too but it is 2-0 to United and they look to be uh, cruising already towards Wembley Have you seen much of this so far Gav? I know you were on so your travels Yeah I, I obviously <coughs> left about midway through the first half to come into studio um, so I left just after Sam Surridge's goal was, was ruled out I saw Rashford's goal I think you're being a little bit generous to describe Joe Worrell and Co was defending that, that flank it was poor initially, initially I was on my feet thinking oh my god it's amazing by Rashford like it's yeah. completely uh, un um, well I was going to say undefendable but the defending was indefensible because he just slipped through them far too easily and then finished uh, finished in the near post but, uh, beyond Wayne Hennessy so uh, look poor defending but brilliant goal and just you know he does look he really looks in the mood. He just looks so sharp at the moment, Rashford, and it's uh, there was a touch. It's quite great to see. Yeah, there was a touch he had just inside the box once he'd gotten past Worrell and Freuler, just to bring it under control and mm. to be able to get that shot away. I think that was the moment where you just see a player, and it's those tiny little nuances where a player in confidence would probably snatch at that shot and scuff at it somewhat and bring a save from Hennessy whereas there was no saving that and the way he was able to get it under control Well I was on my feet because you knew he was going to score yeah, it, yeah. It's just and like go back to last season or the season before you actually wouldn't expect him to score there at all you'd expect that last touch to be heavy and it to run into the, the arms of the goalkeeper so it's just it goes ding off that. his shin and trickle towards Hennessy who would be a grateful yeah. recipient and would pass it out to his fullback from that point but no the, the defending beforehand from Worrell and from, from Remo Freuler was was poor. <laughs> well, it was like, just not, it was non-existent. They just, they let him they, they gave him way too much room into which to advance, and then allowed him allowed Rashford just to slip by and slip inside them much too easily. Well, I even, imagine that Steve Cooper will be complaining about it afterwards. Even the way that they're both drawn out to him in that mm. position, like you're one of them's your centre half, another one's your midfielder. You're looking for a bit more cover centrally then and there was nothing there and Rashford was cute enough to know that once he chopped inside there was every chance that he was going to score Yeah and then while walking in I missed the arrival the official arrival of Veit Veghorst Big Veit Yeah Big Veit So I saw him 
obviously uh, was at the World Cup and uh, I saw him against Argentina absolutely like like could not be defended like no one could handle about Vekhorst he was touched by some kind of divine power that night um, he was amazing I was thinking well this doesn't seem like a bad signing from Manchester United based off the yeah. seven minutes at the end of normal time that I saw about Vekhorst uh, what was this goal what was this goal like I mean it was was it a he, he, like, thundering header for six yards I could have scored it to be fair oh, right. it, it was basically there was a shot from Anthony from the edge of the area uh, a volley and Hennessy in his save which was essentially just a, a punch out centrally towards the advancing Vevek horse who was just following through as you would do on a, on a chance and uh, managed to tuck it away with his feet it's a good feet for a big man which is yeah. always a bonus when you're 6 <laughs> foot 7 um, and bringing out that one straight away uh, there was a save earlier in the first half as well David De Gea had to punch away a volley from Gustavo um, Scarpa too so Forest have had their chances and Brennan Johnson is like you'd be petrified if he's running at you. He looks brilliant doesn't he? Pace is absolutely incredible and I think there is a, a finish there occasionally. They showed his dad actually in the crowd I think he's sitting in, in, in with the home fans David Johnson he used to play for Forest uh, back when they were sinking like a stone from yeah. the Premier League um, so he was in there too watching on and there's uh, Roberto Martinez as well who's uh, looking on and I think no, I don't know. No, I don't. I'm trying to think of the. Well, obviously, Bruno Fernandes, he's. Oh, and off the, Ericsson off the bar. Yeah, just oh, off the. What uh, just off the right hand upright of Wayne Hennessy there at a curling effort from Ericsson just outside, uh, just outside the area. So, United with their tails up, most certainly. So, Mar- Martinez is there skating. Bruno Fernandes. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think if any other Portuguese players uh, there. I can't think of any off the top of my head. There might be a couple of Nottingham Fires that I've just forgotten that they've signed. I have to look up where Gustavo <laughs> Scarpa is from. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's it's slim pickings. Why do you need to keep looking at Bruno Fernandes? you got to know what you're dealing with there. Yeah, it's just, you know, Roberto Martinez's commitment to doing doing, doing a slap-up job there. Um, I kind of... I, it's an, He's an interesting pick for Portugal. I realise this is probably a tangent that maybe you don't want to go down, but uh, and it's not exactly urgent on this uh, January Wednesday I think you know he was, he's been written off in a lot of quarters like how uh, how's this guy got a job again you know having leave, left Belgium for Portugal but I think he's pretty good pretty good pick for that gig do you? yeah really what, what, what makes you? well they're, A they're not going to pay to get like a top club manager yeah. B Martinez's record at Belgium was a lot better than people give him credit for they were they were world number one pretty regularly. Uh, they lost by a single goal to the winners of the World Cup at the semi-final stage. They lost by a single goal to the winners of the Euros at the at their last 16 year quarterfinals uh, at the previous Euros. Lost to Italy, uh, and yeah, th- I mean th- those are narrow margins. Obviously, the World Cup went pretty badly, but then again, were they in the group of death with uh, with Morocco and Croatia and with a squad that had. I don't know. It, it it seemingly had aged at a pace that was almost like Oshin falling off the horse after <laughs> coming back from Tierney. Yeah, no, and look, he was probably a little bit too uh, loyal to Aiden Haz- Aiden Hazard and so forth. But and you know, you know, people say, oh, did Roberto Martinez waste the golden generation for Belgium? He didn't quite get them because the defence was old when he took charge. It was you know, he I was mean, still picking Thomas Vermeulen. Yeah, no, who I'm, was like knocking on fifty five. Yeah, think, by the time he was yeah and then eventually added him to his coaching staff when he realised, okay, Thomas, <laughs> I really can't. Nice to continue yeah. to pick you, so no. I mean, if you want, if you want to lay the blame at anyone's feet, it's obviously Mark Wilmots who made it, who bowls up a much easier Euros. Like Euro 2016, the standard of that was well, we way played, yeah. lower 
than yeah. the Euros well five years later is approved so uh, plus you know I mean his what's Martinez's issue is organising a defence Portugal have some great defenders there Ruben Diaz most obviously, yeah, obviously so yeah. you know maybe they'll just organise themselves and he just has to arrange a forward line he has lots of enviable options so I'm I know I'm all aboard Roberto Martinez and, and potentially Anthony Barry as well joining him yeah, I was, linking I, up with him I was going to get we'll get to the Anthony Barry thing in a moment but there is an interesting point in what you said about Martinez and the Portuguese FA not being able to afford anybody else They're, when we talk about um, we used to have Ireland managers who would be afraid to blood young players in internationals and one D Rice comes to mind in, in a qualifier against Moldova whereby uh, people were thinking that international football is a step above club football still which is just totally not the case anymore no. and that notion if it hasn't been completely dispelled with already needs to be gone because there's a reason why a former Middlesbrough manager is in charge of England. There's a reason why Roberto Martinez is in charge of Portugal. Mm. There's a reason why, you know, we have Stephen Kenny. There's a reason why, you know, umpteen other bosses like Tite, you know, Brazil uh, now departed, obviously. But like, that's where international football is. And it's also a different skill set though, isn't it? I mean, a great international manager will not necessarily be a great club manager and vice versa. I mean, it's a different set of skills. You need to be, I think the best international managers are the adaptable ones. It's a completely different working life yeah. more than you, anything else. Because you have the players for such little time, you can't impose any kind of philosophy yeah. and you also have to just work with what you've got in front of you and your best laid plans will go awry because injuries can, you know, injuries and losses of form and players dropping out of their club teams, mm. like those vicissitudes are what Ireland are subject to we see them at every window like Deschamps and France have been subject to them as well more so maybe with injuries um, and kind of off field witch doctor issues etc etc um, so I think sex tapes <laughs> and the lot yeah. <laughs> they, like, they run the Deschamps, with France. Deschamps had a lot to deal with he <laughs> and he's dealt with it pretty well so there but like what club would I mean Deschamps wouldn't walk into a top club job anymore no, there's no chance of it so they're very different they're very different jobs do you think jobs. so Deschamps I think will be the outlier where I think if a like if, if Massimiliano Allegri or whatever is, is, is sacked at Juventus and they're, they've got their own issues at the moment but he would be one of the names that pops up perhaps in connection with that Him and Zidane once again uh, vying with uh, Zinedine Zidane uh, look I'd be surprised to be quite honest if, uh, okay. if Deschamps was in the running for, uh, for a top club job look I could be wrong but it's 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 difficult to pick. I mean, Mancini was a slight outlier at the Euros and maybe Luis Enrique at Spain where you're thinking these guys could go back to a really top club job from the international management, but I don't know. I'm not convinced. Yeah, on the Anthony Barry thing, mm. we touched on last night, it looks like he is going to follow, I was going to say follow the money, but he's going to follow Martinez mm. uh, in Portugal. How much of a live you know, chance was there that he that he might return and we'd had Dan on last night and he was saying that there were conversations held and Stephen Kenny was in fairly regular contact with him. Yeah, I think they were they would they remained on good terms. I think everyone yeah. of the FAI kinda of remained on good terms with Anthony Barry. He saw a good opportunity to work with Belgium and work at a World Cup and work with the likes of Martinez and, you know, the, the standard of player that's there. Um, so they remained in contact. I, I don't think it ever got to the stage where, you know, there's a firm offer on the table, but I think there were conversations there and um, there was a hope anyway that he would return to the Irish the Irish senior staff and sadly that uh, those hopes were dashed. He would have been, look, he would have been great to have back, to be yeah. quite honest with you. Obviously, he's he's quite tact- tactically astute. Um, he's good on set pieces, I think maybe. Uh, I have certainly been guilty in the past of overstating his influence on Ireland set pieces uh, Stephen Kenny has said that he takes responsibility for offensive and defensive set pieces so he signs off on everything there uh, at Belgium he ran defensive set pieces only as far as I'm aware okay. the Thierry Henry um, 
around the offensive uh, from around the offensive side of things. But he is, like, you know, he's got a very good reputation and just his energy and attitude are on the training ground and around the camp. I think, you know, I think that's what he would, Kenny would love to replicate. So we'll see. It seems that uh, it seems that there is a candidate in the offing and that there might be an appointment. Definitely, I think Jonathan Hill is on record. I missed the AGM at the weekend, but <coughs> I think Jonathan Hill is on record as saying that there will be someone in before March, which will be which will be ideal. There's going to be a flurry of activity before March. We're going to get the new logo. We're going to get a new jersey. We're yeah. going to get a new uh, assistant coach to replace John Eustace. It's and like, new Robbie Keane. And a new, new Robbie. Really? Yeah. Well, Evan Ferguson. Uh, of course. Oh, of yeah. course. I mean, you're a Bose man, so you you must be tracking. I mean, not to go like classic <laughs> Bose stereotypes here, yes. I mean, you liked Evan Ferguson before he was cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he was a mere slip of a lad at 14. Uh, I saw him play against debut. Chelsea at 14. He, he, is, he is the harbinger of doom for Frank Lampard. <laughs> and I don't think that can be uh, overstated. He... It was Frank's one of Frank's certainly one of Frank's very first matches as Chelsea manager. It was his very first game. Very first it was game. A friendly daily match. It was a friendly daily match. Evan Ferguson came on as a substitute as a fourteen-year-old. Cue social media outrage. Mm. Not a Frank Lampard managing a club like Chelsea with minimal managerial experience behind him, but rather that a fourteen-year-old was being blooded in a preseason friendly for. Well, Chelsea. I did see a lot of. Is he too young and inexperienced to be in the dressing room? And I said, I'm sure that Frank Lampard has been there before. <laughs> <laughs> very good uh, he did like Fer- Ferguson I, I just remember I think was it Eric Malloy who in- who equalised in that game yeah am I right to say Eric Malloy so, yeah, yeah. but uh, Ferguson dummied the ball uh, for him uh, so he did have a did it have uh, an he did have an active role I suppose in yeah, the there you go he's uh, the harbinger of doom for Frank Lampard and he was involved obviously scoring for Brighton against uh, against Everton and, and which ultimately helped to, to sink Frank uh, but on the Ferguson thing there is genuine cause for huge because like, it's not just us now that's blowing smoke about Ferguson there are, like, yeah. there are elements England's of the, heard him yeah England, English people have per- perked up and have started going why isn't Gareth Southgate capping this lad um, I don't think he's quite gone that far but he's 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 he's, he's perking interest from mm. English journalists and scouts and bigger clubs etc already so yeah We've every cause to think we're going to win the Euros in a couple uh, of I, Well, I, there's definitely no reason to worry that he won't play for Ireland because he will. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, and I actually would expect him to start against France, to be quite honest. If, yeah. he, if he plays, if he plays, I would say a third of the minutes between now and March with Brighton, perhaps even less, he'll, he'll start against France. Um, look, I mean, you're always, you're always caught between you want to get excited about players, you want to get carried away um, with them because it's, it's, it's great and it's so cool to see Irish players yeah. doing like making an impact at that level like there's literally not a higher level week to week in club football so it's amazing that it's really an amazing thing I think when Irish players make any kind of impact at that level let's um even more so when they're doing it consistently. Um, so it is exciting. Like you don't want to put too much pressure on and something things can go wrong but you know if you, you talk to people the fr- a phrase that keeps recurring about Ferguson is just like he's got chance he's got real chance you know it's just like you know because you know b- these these are kind of flinty old football souls who know yeah. who know how tough the game is how ruthless the game is um, and how per- uh, how um, I'm, I'm missing the word there but just how just how uh, cruel it can be um, uh, and how, how sometimes you're reliant on luck uh, so he's he look and he's got he comes from a strong football background he seems to have a very good sport network, network around him Brighton seems like a really good place for him. So uh, Brighton yeah. almost seems like the better a better club now than when, and it was always pretty well regarded with the work that Dan Ashworth did to, mm. to get them up into the Premier League, and that's been continued on even post his departure. That everything about that football club seems to be sensible mm. and seems to have clever people behind it. And 
even when you compare and contrast the Aaron Connolly breakthrough there, that Brighton has moved on a couple of steps even since then. So Ferguson has an even better environment in which to kind of flourish there at the moment. And he's being given chance after chance and, and rising to those chances. Which and, is you know, bit. chances under two different managers. You know, yeah. like Potter gave him his debut as well, didn't play him as often, probably because there was, you know, he was that little bit younger and there was probably a little bit more competition ahead of him. Now it's just Danny Welbeck, you know, and Welbeck... Uh, is quite injury prone so there's loads of opportunities there and you know he, he didn't start the weekend but then you know you're thinking oh god does that stop a little, little bit of the momentum uh, and comes off the bench and scores that great goal you know he just finds I, I saw people criticising Leicester's defending for leaving space but you know the, the best strikers always find space in the box yeah. and they always find time in the box he found it he timed his run really well uh, he wasn't you know it wasn't too anxious to sprint into the box and was then was just kind of standing still as it came to him or watched the ball go behind him he just, you know, he's just like perfectly in the rhythm in the game and knew, uh, knew exactly when and where to attack in the box. And then the header itself was brilliant. So, uh, I know, look, I know we can get accused of car- getting carried away, etc. But uh, give him a chance, for God's sake. He's <laughs> only a kid. There's lots of that. Be, be excited. He looks, he looks great. Yeah, he, did, he, he does. My, my worry is that the, the, how do you best utilise him in, in an international scenario? And I know the sample size you pick is, him. Well, you pick him, obviously, but like the sample size is small as regards minutes that we've seen him in an Ireland jersey and mm. that's ultimately fair enough and the circumstances weren't exactly ideal. Um, but I, I would hate to see him become one of these strikers who's, from an Irish perspective, he's a big lad, get him to run the channels, get him to have a knockdown, get him to be a John Walters type figure because... I think the general consensus is he's better than that. And yeah, he's viewed a couple of levels. In terms I think of so. I mean, the the ambition of the of the current manager and and his and his team is to not play like that. So hopefully mm. that won't be the case. Um, now there may be a level of that uh, of playing like that against France because you know France will have more of the ball because they're much better than Ireland. But if you look um, at how he used Adamida in the past, Adamida was you know he would play as a kind of a role like that, whereby yeah. he is trying to get secondary ball down to people who are advancing from midfield. The frustration with Ida is that he he ended up he seemed to spend too much of the games he has played for Ireland outside the box. Like there's actually you know he's been criticised for missing chances in the past. I can't think of too many chances he's missed. Mm. Adam Ida, you know, he's just said now. First of all, he hasn't played enough because of injury. He's been very unfortunate from that point of view. He's had a year wiped. He's had yeah. a, 20, 2022 for him for an international point of view and for probably from a club level almost after yeah. that good run at the start of the year. Which is a write-off for him, unfortunately for him. Uh, so in 2021, he did play. He was brilliant. I remember away to Portugal. He's, he was that outlet and he did hold the ball up. Ireland need that kind of player. They really missed that without Ida in some games in, in 2022. Um, and yeah, but I'm trying. there may be a couple of missed chances at home to Azerbaijan. And there was one header I remember at home to Portugal that he was just a little bit he snatched at he actually yeah. had time to take a touch and shoot actually rather than you know a kind of a slightly anxious kind of jittery header that was too easy for the Portuguese goalkeeper on the night so um, yeah I, I take your point I mean yeah no I take your point he, the Ida thing has been frustrating because he's, he's kind of popped up and he's putting in a lot of good crosses and you're thinking actually no we should be the other way around he should be in the penalty area so that, that's the job that's the job of, of the management to, get, to kind of get, this, get the structure right and get have chances falling to Ferguson but uh, you know it seems like based off his Premier League form so far he won't need too many chances to yeah. make an impact about 15-16 goals I think is what we can expect in qualifying uh, along the way <laughs> uh, just to bring you give up him to a chance just to <laughs> it's only a young fella uh, 20 what 4 23 minutes to go at uh, the City ground and it is still Nottingham Forest nil Manchester United 2 Jesse Lingard uh, for the difference that it might make for Forest uh, has come on and it is uh, one of those guys who got the chances for Forest in the first half uh, Gustavo uh, 
surname escapes me now. Being used to me, I can't keep up with fire signing. Scarpa, there we go. Uh, who is a Brazilian and not a Portuguese player. So Roberto Martinez has no right to be looking at him whatsoever. Uh, but he is the, the man to make way for Jesse Lingard, who's come on uh, against his former side. But Forrest really paying the price, I think, for for having Dean Henderson out at the moment. He's one of those players who could make a massive difference to them. That Veghorst goal, I dare say, doesn't happen uh, if he's fit and eligible to play. Um, and it's just... It's just one of those things where circumstances kind of construed against Forrest in this yeah, time. Yeah, Hennessy's never really um, convinced, really, with with anything, be it no. his performances or his off-field explanations for certain exploits. Um, but you were saying, and I missed this little yeah. bit of transfer title, that they're interested in Kaylor Navas. Well, the need, because <clears throat> the thing about Henderson is he's not just obviously ineligible for this game. He is... Uh, injured, isn't he's he? He's injured, yeah. yeah. So they want somebody who's long-term uh, going to be able to come in or at least a medium term and uh, they're trying to bring in uh, Kaylor Navas the, for, the long term solution is the 48 year old Kaylor Navas well you know you Go on, how old is he I'm being unfair I, to him I, now I, I think he's probably under 37 now at this stage but he's still looking for for big money he's on uh, he's on at PSG still at the moment so they're looking at a, a loan deal 36 there you go is 36. how Kaylor Navas is I mean the experience that he has at the top level is impeccable and mm. um, and if you do bring in a goalkeeper of that quality, like that, that's a different. Like Henderson has he been would, a difference maker for Forest this I season. I think now, I think he'd be a brilliant signer for them. Yeah. I have to say, and like there is a slight, you know, PSG have have gone with Donnarumma over Kaylor Navas. It makes sense in the longer term. Yeah. But you know, like who would you back in like in those big Champions League games? Those like this season against Bayern, who would you want? I actually think you'd maybe prefer Navas. Like you say, he's just such a big game. Big game player. Does he become a lesser goalkeeper when he has uh, Scott McKenna and Joe Worrell as his defensive guard? Though <laughs> I mean, well, based off based off the defend, the alleged defending for Rashford's first goal, <laughs> I would think absolutely yes. Yeah, and you're kind of seeing uh, United running at the Forest defence here again, and they're being given time on the ball. Bruno Fernandes playing the ball out wide to to Christian Eriksen, who's after winning himself uh, a corner off Renan Lodi. And um, you wanted to talk about Napoli. Uh, I don't have before, much before we get to the break. Well, I don't have much insight that, here. That's just fine. You just you, you're an admirer, and I think a lot of what we get lost in when we're talking about football is we have to analyse, we have to go deep and stuff. And what got us in in love of football to begin with were these teams that caught our eye and just came from nowhere. Exactly. I, I mean, because Napoli had an absolute. You could say they had a bit of a nightmare off season. Like, I mean, the manager Luciano Spalletti was en- ended up kind of remonstrating with impatient fans at the training ground because the transfer window. They they basically ripped out the spine of a team that had served them really well for years. You know, they didn't quite get over the line under under Sarri in that run for the league title a couple of years ago. But like Koulibaly sold, Insigne gone, Mertens gone, uh, and then Fabian Ruiz left for PSG. I think God Almighty. I mean, PS, uh, Napoli were you know. They started last season, the season previous, really well, and they messed that up. Like, what kind of season are they going to have this year? Like, a match. They're a magical team. I mean, and Kvaratskhelia, the the Georgian wear. <laughs> he is a, a magician. He's but, amazing. Yeah. I came from nowhere. I'd never heard of him. It's they they won last week against Salernitana two 0 Just going through the results, there was that five one against Juventus. Yeah, I watched that. That was absolutely fantastic. That, that was the that was the game. I think a lot of people outside of Italy probably sat up and took notice and went, "Okay, this is actually mm. there's something happening here." You look at the gap that they have at the top of Serie. I think the twelve points clear. Yeah, because Milan got hammered three by Lazio last night like it, Juventus are 15 points worse off than than they were last week I don't think we should undersell like they haven't won a title since, Marad- since Maradona since was the there days of Maradona. and that's that's not nothing it would be an amazing thing to watch and now it does look like it's going to happen I mean that's an enormous lead they're not they're not playing like a team 
that uh, that are wobbling in any way. They were poor and lost Inter Milan after the winter break. But they've been poor in Europe generally. There was a lot that lost to Liverpool two 0 which you know was was a close enough game regardless of the scoreline. But they've lost games in Europe that you kind of think that a team of their quality that we've seen so far this season should be winning. Yeah, I think they still top that group. I think that was it was unlike it was surprising to see them lose at Anfield. They still absolutely destroyed Liverpool in the, the Paolo, in the home yeah. games. So uh, I will say this. Go on. They say. have got a special kit coming out for Valentine's Day. Have you seen this? Yeah. They it's all, got a kind of a like puckered lips on the It's got a smoochy lips on the torso and uh, some red sleeves. Uh that kind of thing is the kind of thing that deserves a, a, a 12 point 15 point penalty. <laughs> but they had they had special ones for Christmas and they, they have. bring out special kits every every couple of weeks. Lures of fast fashion in uh, it's, in Naples. It's 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 I, I can't get on board like because Italy is cradled to so many iconic Kids, mm. the, like I was having the the, the the piss taken out of me by Dan last night for having an affinity with with, with jerseys and stuff like that. But you can't go around with a pair of smoochy lips on your side and be taken seriously as serious. Uh, no, I think uh, I think that kit's quite lame, and they've had a couple. There's a few lame uh, once-off special kits, but uh, I'll forgive them. I mean, I'd happily watch <laughs> Kvarchkelia run down the wing wearing that. The worry is now is that they're going to be picked off one by one again, and Kvarchkelia is one of those uh, players. Oh no, they uh, will. Yeah, they absolutely yeah. will. So. You know, get yourself a BT Sports subscription and tune in. We've only got another few months of this magic left. <laughs> uh, it is a 12-point lead that they have to defend and we'll see how well they go about that. Uh, more to get to with Gav after this. They're into the final 18 minutes at the City Ground Forest, uh, making more substitutions. Neko Williams is one of those coming on for Renan Lodi. Uh, just there, we've seen Morgan Gibbs-White make way too. Uh, the football show is brought to you by Sky, all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sport. Gav, I want to talk Everton with you after uh, the break as well but we will be back after this so far as the GA are concerned in this matter it's nothing to do with the individual teams this is to do with the GAA protecting its own rules protecting its own reputation subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts uh, welcome back to the football show off air we were just talking about because golf intercedes everything now and, mm. and gets in the way we were talking about the the tea throwing incident we need more of that in football I think needs to be more throwing tea th- th- throwing teas necessarily but just more people cast in a Patrick Reed kind of light who are you know bully boys and, and go around you know picking on people and we need, we fighting need, back against we that need, kind we of we need more villains is what you're saying yeah, but by, but if, if you have a good villain therefore by contrast you have a good good guy as well well we were talking to like and uh, you do wonder now that I mean basically all the bad guys are going to live so yeah. I mean who, who's there left to root against on the PGA Tour no one <laughs> if, if you have any suggestions we'd be more than willing to hear them 53106 <laughs> is the uh, text number for 30 cent I wanted to talk about Everton because that situation is um, is, oh. is no less men <laughs> that's exactly the uh, the response you think you get when you're talking about Everton because Frank Lampard's gone their managerial um, net has been cast uh, wide and far mm. uh, there's names like Sean Dyche Marcelo Bielsa um, Ralph Hasenhutl has, has been mentioned in dispatches as well they still seem intent on signing players even though there's no manager in place so therefore no guidance at the club but one of the names mentioned today was Hakim Ziyech mm. at Chelsea and they seem very determined to get him after missing out on Arnaud Danjuma who's gone to Tottenham Um there are contrasting reports last night as regards to the sale of the club. Will Unwin's report in the in the Guardian said that Farhad Mashiri had resolved to sell. He was looking for north of five hundred million and would be open to selling a minority stake or majority stake, essentially just to get more funding in and to divest himself of this massive club, which has become just hellscape for him. But there was also at the same time that this report was put out in the Guardian, 
a video was released of him in conversation with one of the fans groups or the leader of one of the main fans groups at Goodison whereby he said categorically the club is not for sale. Mm. And it's that kind of dual messaging is only going to be kindling to the fire of people who want this guy out of the club. But selling a club is not easy. And in the particular context of you've got two major clubs in the Premier League who are already on the market. So you're taking, you know, potentially massive investors out of the way. Mm. Uh, you're not going to grab them out from the gra- grips of, of Manchester United and Liverpool. So how do you actually go about selling a club like Everton to the satisfaction of the fans without getting relegated? I don't I think no you can. Idea. I have no idea. Yeah. It is an abs- It is an omni-shambles there. You feel... You feel terrible for every Everton supporter out there just because it just goes to show how precarious, you know, your football club is when it's subject to the whims of billionaire owner from overseas. You might get lucky and get a reasonably good owner, which I would argue that their pals across Stanley Park have had. Mm. But uh, Mashiri has run the place into the ground. You know, it's making, it's hemorrhaging losses now. It's not like, not like he hasn't spent money. He has spent money. Something like, they sent more than... 400 million euro over the last I think is it five seasons or something and one of the crucial points to come out of that as well was uh, there's a journalist over in uh, Merseyside who covers Everton a lot Richard Buxton was, was tweeting this evening to say of the players that they bought in and of the players that they've sold who has been sold that's actually made you just go oh god really miss them there's only been really Richarlison, Richarlison. And, and Lukaku yeah. and, to, and an ex, to an extent if you want to go further back John Stones perhaps but yeah. that's a, a different case well, and there's also like the, they've lost I mean they're a player they don't really do player trading like I mean no, the the best sides at that level you know the, you know your top sides like Manchester City etc can you know buy Jack Reed for 100 million euro and who cares if we don't sell him on for anything we have a bottomless amount of money mm. and we're going to be successful regardless Everton are in a lower tier of club where they need to be smart about who they recruit and um, they need to make money back by selling them this is like I mean they bought Alan for nearly 25 million euro sold him to Abu Dhabi for nothing you know, God, uh, Andre Gomez, twenty-five million euro left for nothing. Like, I mean, that's it's a disaster. There's endless I mean, you cases. Have to him. get money, money back. Well, in Jake Tolson was God knows how much it left for nothing. Look across Stanley. If you want to use the Stanley Park reference, where they would bring in people like a Dominic Solanke mm. and would sell them off to to Bournemouth for for twenty odd million, getting twenty odd million for Rio sure, Brewster. Bournemouth, Bournemouth nearly won Liverpool the Champions League and the Premier League. They've been getting massive money for guys like Jordan, Jordan Ibe, Ibe yeah. Dominic Solanke, and but but actually, the, and Everton could never do that. That's part of the business of being a football club mm. is being able to turn over your assets like that and bring in money for them and being able to regenerate your squad that way. Everton just kept buying and buying. But you need and buying. Stru- you need structure and. You don't have to have a massive long-term 15-year plan, but you need at least a medium-term plan. And Everton have gone through sporting directors at a rate that other clubs go through managers. Okay, they've had, what, seven permanent managers in seven years. I think they're they're onto their third sporting director now already. You know, they're just completely structureless. Uh, And the the fans can't argue that Mashiri hasn't put in money, but it's worse that he has put in money and he's wasted so much. You know, the, the amount spent, no one could quibble with the amount spent, but it's just been torched, you know? And it's... You know, Frank Lampard, I'm I'm surprised you were to, you're talking about the kind of communications confusion around the, the sale. The last people to find out that Everton that had sacked Frank Lampard seems to be people running Everton's website. You know, the statement went up hours after. Five, at, at least five hours later after the news broke and it was literally everywhere. Like, and we were pressing, I was pressing refresh in here on, was it Monday night, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was Monday. I was pressing refresh in the Everton website. I, I figured, right, there was one piece done in the can, I think, for half seven. We're kind of mm. thinking, all right, Maybe we'll see uh, that line might date badly when we're saying oh, they haven't updated the website yet. We got to this point in the show and they still hadn't announced it. I think I was going out the door 
yeah. when Everton had finally gotten around to saying, oh, by the way, we sacked our manager. Sack I know you know it already, but like yeah. we've sacked our manager. Oh, but like they were know. talking about it on Monday Night Football. Apologies for watching rather than listening to Off the Ball, Sake obviously. Um, but talking about Monday Night Football and then at the end of the chat... Uh, uh, David Jones says now I should say that Everton haven't yet confirmed this and Gary Neville was like what? <laughs> I assumed we were discussing it I assumed exactly. he was gone and he, he sadly was gone look I mean Lampard was a strange fit for that job I think he he, end, he leaves the job after a year in charge thinking of the second worst win rate of Everton managers in history he kept them up he got them into trouble he, and then kept them up so I yeah. suppose he deserves some uh, credit for that last year but he's a strange fit I'm a, like any other club in, at the Premier League would probably have sacked him before the World Cup didn't they lose twice to Bournemouth back to back in the yeah. Cup and the League like at that point okay get rid of this guy bring someone in for the World Cup give him time to work with the players and give him the full transfer window that's you know how any reasonably well run club might look at holding themselves out of the mess of which they've made but it's just like it's like a death spiral there. Like, it's just like, no matter what you try, nothing seems to work. You know, the convulsion gone from different styles of manager to different styles of manager. They've thrown money at it. They've tried sporting directors. Nothing has worked. Well, if you look at it now, uh, one thing is for sure is that Frank Lampard's going to land on his feet. Roberto Martinez, Portugal manager. Mm. Ronald Koeman, Netherlands manager. Carlo Ancelotti, unimpeachable yeah. Manager of the European Champions, Marco Silva on the up with Fulham. Yeah, the only way is up for Francis. Well, like I mean, that would that would also tell you that the issue historically is not those managers; that the issue is something inherent at, at Everton. Yeah. Um, Lampard, I'm not so sure though. There seems now, to be doubts over. Yeah, that that's going to persist, and until he gets a a, a win in terms of in a, in a bigger sense, in terms of he has a, a period of success at a club, you're wondering where that club is going to be and what that success actually will entail. But yeah. it's certainly not going to be winning trophies at a major club. But there's a lot of there's a lot of proof now. I mean, that maybe he's not any good because he's yeah. now been at Derby, he's been at Chelsea, he's been at Everton, and he's kind of broadly failed the same way. Well, in the same breath, you can't blame him for taking on those jobs. Oh, no, of course not. Yeah, I wouldn't blame him yeah. for taking them on. I give him a bit of blame for failing. <laughs> it was just like you know, I mean, he, he he connects well with the fans. I think that's to his credit. Well, that's just his personality. Yeah, it's his yeah. amazing personality. Yeah, <laughs> just he's just so giving. <laughs> it's just like so. I mean, like his harnessing of that amazing wave of emotion at the end of last season was brilliant. I think he deserves massive yeah. credit for that. But his teams, I feel his teams lack clarity or lack a kind of identity like I mean all the best managers nowadays have very clear convictions about what they want who they want around them and how they want to play never quite clear with Lampard like Everton he was always swapping between a back three and a back five and a back four they you know he, he could never strike any kind of balance you know I mean there was you know if they were leaking too many goals he'd make his teams more defensive but then they'd stop scoring and then he'd be like okay we need to start scoring goals and then they'd, they'd be picked off really easily in the counter it's a good piece on The Athletic on Mondays talking about how Everton are so vulnerable in defensive transition so they go a goal down and they're like okay we have to chase this lads and then they just leave themselves wide open on the yeah. counter attack happened against West Ham happened against Tottenham happened another couple of occasions this season so we can never He's always struggled to find a right balance, and I think that comes from you know you know some managers become are very different styles of ma- as managers than they were as players. Lampard's exactly as he was as a player. You know, it's yeah. just like you know sit there. <laughs> you, you you can't decide whether between sit uh, between sitting or going. You know, it's all you know it's all there are extremes in Frank Lampard's, and they, he can never settle on the. What's the best case scenario this season for them? Oh, that they don't go down. Uh, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're in huge trouble. Um, maybe Lampard exacerbated. I think the results were obviously very poor. Maybe a different manager gets slightly better results. You know, it is a kind of a continuity Burnley team now with Tarkowski there and McNeil there. So uh, maybe you bring in Sean Dyche and he probably keeps them up. Um, what, the, the question is... But now, that's the best case scenario. Like, but who, who wants to go there? Yeah. Who's, who's looking... Like, I know that it's... People it's a, will still want It's a big job, club and you know? it's an attractive, you know, name. But the situation there with the with the way the ownership situation is, with the way the relationship between the owners but like and it's, the board management is. is such a mad business. Like everyone involved in it has massive self-belief. Yeah. So you'd admire anyone who's in management for that kind of self-belief and conviction themselves. So they'll all believe that they're the person that can turn this around. And they look at, you know, and it's, you know, it's amazing. It's a great club, an amazing atmosphere if it's harnessed in the right way. Stadium massive the tradition, way. Yeah. new stadium in the way, amazing historic stadium to play at. Um, you know, that that is tempting in its own right and there are only 20 Premier League jobs in the world mm. uh, so I think that will tempt people I, th- I they'll always find someone to do the job um, but it's whether they can actually do the job well when they're there is another question as as, as it is currently set up uh, no they, they, they probably can't so the best case scenario is that they don't go down they sold their main source of goals for Charleston uh, the replacements have not been good enough Calvert-Lewin has been injury prone now it seems like Anthony Gordon might leave which is quite extraordinary to if they if they fended off those um, that massive bid from Chelsea during the summer. Um, now it seems they're locked in negotiations in Newcastle. And Newcastle not willing to pay sixty million, which seems like a nuts amount of money anyway. But the uh, thought is that they're going to be you know talked down essentially and going to be knocking around 35, 40 million, which is still there's not a massive body of evidence behind Anthony Gordon to suggest he's worth that money no so. no probably not but he is worth probably is worth that much to Everton yeah uh, Manchester United by the way have just found their third goal of the evening and indeed of the tide the ball clipped wide to Bruno Fernandes who on the volley drilled low into the corner past Wayne Hennessy uh, speaking of under pressure managers by the way just before we let you go Gav Jim Goodwin seems to have this time last night we were talking about in the wake of their cup exit to Darvel uh, from yeah. the uh, West of Scotland League uh, Premier Division we should uh, stipulate uh, they were very much under pressure and the thought was that Jim Goodwin was on borrowed time seemingly he's bought himself at least one more game a tiny bit of time he's, <laughs> he's not got the most resounding uh, of, uh, of, of, of backing from so the board today so there has been a statement from the chairman this evening at Aberdeen to say that we had a, we sat down had an uncomfortable chat with Jim he knows this isn't good enough but he'll be in the dugout at the weekend. So that is a scolding from the headmaster to say, don't be at that again. So we'll see. It's kind of going awry for, for Goodwin. Like it's one win and nine. That is an absolute, like that is a humiliation yeah. uh, against Darvel in midweek, coming off the back of a five and a loss a heart. to hearts. You yeah. know, and like, kind of, you know, he's one of those Irish names you keep an eye on uh, coaching wise. You know, so much promise with that period at St. Mirren that he had actually done really well and it's the reason why you take that step up from St Mirren to to Aberdeen that that career path St Mirren Aberdeen you know history teaches us quarter century domination of Manchester United awaits Um, but no sadly it seems like that you know that that maybe is his first kind of failure in management but it need not be it need not be his last job in management I I don't maybe you can turn it around at Aberdeen but just some of the comments from like ex-Aberdeen pros out there saying like he has to go I mean mean, it's actually surprising to hear people talk with that amount of directness at it but basically that he's Cup exits there seem to carry more currency than Mm. even going back to and we mentioned it last night going back to that Celtic Inverness Cup exit I mean that was the bottoming out period for for Celtic at that stage and similarly if you go out to a club like Darvel in the Cup 
like people don't just wash it off and go ah it's only the cup we're fifth in the fifth in yeah. the Scottish Premiership we can turn this around there is a sense that if you lose in the cup you have brought great shame upon this great club yeah well I, I would definitely if you're losing to sixth tier Darville who obviously I, I had never heard of uh, wasn't she a hurdler you were heard to remark <laughs> just, I mean I was seeing loads on my Twitter I was just like well is, this, is that a typo from everyone I assume everyone means Marvel um, but uh, I, I guess maybe you know I already know they're not going to win the Scottish Premiership but they you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they win the cup. You know, and you know it is a team that that is it is a great club that has made its name partly through cups. You know, I mean, yeah, it's of is it forty years this year since the cup winners cup against was it Real Madrid? I think it was. Yeah, Willie Miller holding the, the, the trophy aloft. Um, um, yeah, but I just saw. You know, I was reading a couple of articles on it today, and the intro was just like, "Here's a quiz question: Name the side that won the cup winners cup forty years ago and then lost to a six tier team this week." I was just like, "Okay, you know, slightly contrived, but you know, fair <laughs> enough." Uh, but it just goes to show how I suppose they're kind of defining themselves by by cups. We'll keep tabs on them anyway. Um, Gavin Cooney, thank you so much for dropping in yeah, uh, this so. evening. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports.